46. Among his intimate friends was Bishop Lancelot Andrews, whose 91 sermons were published by Laud and Buckridge in 1629. B-U-C-K-B-S-H-L-P. A slang financial term for the office or business of an inferior class of stockbroker, who is not a member of an official exchange and conducts speculative operations for his clients, who deposit a margin or cover. The operations consist, as a rule, of a simple bet or wager between the broker and client, no pretense of an actual purchase or sale being attempted. The term is sometimes, though loosely and wrongfully, applied to V.04P.0666 all stockbrokers who are not members of the recognized local exchange. The origin of the word is American. According to the New English Dictionary it is supposed to have arisen in Chicago. The Board of Trade there forbade dealings in options in grain of less than 5,000 bushels. An open board of trade or an authorized exchange was opened for the purpose of small gamblers. In a neighboring street below the rooms of the Board of Trade, the lift used by members of the Board of Trade would be sent down to bring up from the open board what was known as a bucketful of the smaller speculators. When business was slack, B-U-C-K-H-O-L-D-D properly B-U-K-L-S-Z, or B-O-C-K-L-S-Z-O-N, Johann C. 1508-1535, Dutch Anabaptist fanatic, better known as John of Eliadian, from his place of birth, was the illegitimate son of Bockel, Burgomaster of Soevenhagen, who afterwards married his mother. He was born about 1508, apprenticed to a tailor, became infected with the opinions of Thomas Muenger, traveled in pursuit of his trade being for years in London, married a widow, became bankrupt, and in September 1533 joined the Anabaptist movement under Johann Mathis Mathisun, baker of Harlem. He had little education, but some literary faculty, and had written plays. On the 13th of January 1534 he appeared in Muenster as an apostle of Mathis, good-looking and fluent. He fascinated women, and won the confidence of Bernard Nipperdalink, a revolutionary cloth merchant, who gave him his daughter in marriage. The Muenster Anabaptists took up arms on the 9th of February 1534 See Anabaptists, on the death of Mathis 1534. Butthold succeeded him as prophet, added his widow to the number of his wives, and organized a new constitution for Muenster, with twelve elders suggested by the tribes of Israel and other officers of a theocracy, but soon superseded these, making himself king of the new Zion. His arbitrary rule was marked by pomp and severity. Muenster was retaken June 25, 1535 by its prince bishop, Franz von Waldeck. Butthold, after many indignities, was cruelly executed on the 22nd of January 1536, his body, and those of his companions, were hung in cages to the tower of the Lamberty Church, his portrait is in Grovelendier Hüftketter and Liegen, 1607, an English edition is appended to Alexander Ross's Pansbia, Second Education 1655, a better example of the same is given by Arend, see Arend, Algemeen Jespedines des Viterlands 1846, E.I., E.I., 629, Van der A.A., Biographisk Warden Boeit der Nederlanden 1853, Ebel Rise and Fail of the Anabaptists 1903, Ago, B.U.C.K.I., A Fishing Town and Police Bird of Banffshire, Scotland, on the Moray Firth, at the mouth of Bucky Burn, about 17 meters W of Banff, with a station on the Great North of Scotland Railway, Pop, 1891-5849, 
Its public buildings include a hall and literary institute with library and recreation rooms. It attracts one of the largest Scottish fleets in the herring season, and is also the chief seat of line fishing in Scotland. The harbour, with an outer and an inner basin, covers an area of nine acres and has half a mile of keyage. Besides the fisheries, there are engineering works, distilleries, and works for the making of ropes, sails and oil. The burn, which divides the town into Nether Boki and Eastern Boki, rises near the hill of Clashmadin, about 5 meters to the southwest. Poor Gordon, 11 2 meters west of Boki, is a thriving fishing village, and Rathbun, some 2 meters east, lies in a fertile district, where there are several interesting Danish cairns and other relics of the remote past. Buckingham, Earls, Marquesses and Dukes of, the origin of the Earldom of Buckingham to be distinguished from that of Buckinghamshire. QV is obscure, according to Mr. J. H. Round in G.E.C. Single quote as peerage. SV there is some charter evidence for its existence under William Rufus, but the main evidence for reckoning Walter Gifford, Lord of Longueville in Normandy, who held 48 lordships in the county, as the first Earl, is that of Odricus Bileys, who twice describes Walter as, comes book in name and sees, once in 1097, and again at his death in 1102. After the death of Walter Gifford, second Earl in 1164, the title was assumed by Richard de Clare. Earl of Pembroke, Strongbow, in right of his wife, Rohise, sister of Walter Gifford I, and it died with him in 1176. In 1377 Thomas of Woodstock, Duke of Gloucester was created Earl of Buckingham at the coronation of Richard I, 15th of July, and the title of Gloucester having after his death been given to Thomas Despenser, his son Humphrey bore that of Earl of Buckingham only. On Humphrey's death, his sister Anne became Countess of Buckingham in her own right. She married Edmund Stafford, Earl of Stafford, and on her death 1438 the title of Buckingham passed to her son Humphrey Stafford, Earl of Stafford, who in 1444 was created Duke of Buckingham. This title remained in the Stafford family until the attainder and execution of Edward, 3rd Duke, in 1521 C. Buckingham, Henry Stafford, 2nd Duke of, in 1617 King James I created George Villiers Earl, in 1618 Marquis and in 1623 Duke of Buckingham C. Buckingham, George V. I. Villiers, 1st Duke of, the Marquis A. and Dukedom became extinct with the death of the 2nd Villiers Duke Q. V. in 1687, but the Earldom was claimed, under the special remainder in the patent of 1617, by a collateral line of doubtful legitimacy claiming descent from John Villiers, 1st Viscount Purbeck, the title was not actually born after the death of John Villiers, styling himself Earl of Buckingham, in 1723, the claim was extinguished by the death of George Villiers, a clergyman, in 1774. In 1703 John Sheffield, Marquess of Normandy, was created Duke of the County of Buckingham and of Normandy, see below. He was succeeded by his son Edmund who died in October 1735 when the titles became extinct. The title of Marquess and Duke of Buckingham in the Grenville family to the holders of which the remainder of this article applies was derived not from the county, but from the town of Buckingham. It originated in 1784, when the second Earl Temple was created Marquess of Buckingham, in the county of Buckingham, this title being elevated into the Dukedom of Buckingham and Chandos for his son in 1822. George Nugent Temple Gerian Vialelli, first Marquess of Buckingham 1753-1813, was the second son of George Grenville, and was born on the 17th of June 1753. Educated at Eton and Christ Church, Oxford, 
he was appointed a teller of the Exchequer in 1764, and ten years later was returned to Parliament as one of the members for Buckinghamshire. In the House of Commons he was a sharp critic of the American policy of Lord North. In September 1779 he succeeded his uncle as second Earl Temple, in 1782 was appointed Lord Lieutenant of Buckinghamshire, and in July of the same year became a member of the Privy Council and Lord Lieutenant of Ireland in the ministry of the Earl of Shelburne. On his advice the Renunciation Act of 1783 was passed, which supplemented the legislative independence granted to Ireland in 1782. By royal warrant he created the Order of St. Patrick in February 1783, with himself as the first Grand Master. Temple left Ireland in 1783, and again turned his attention to English politics. He enjoyed the confidence of George I.I., and having opposed Fox's East India Bill, he was authorized by the King to say that whoever voted for the India Bill was not only not his friend, but would be considered by him as an enemy, a message which ensured the defeat of the bill. He was appointed a Secretary of State when the younger Pitt formed his ministry in December 1783, but resigned two days later. In December 1784 he was created Marquess of Buckingham, in the County of Buckingham. In November 1787 he was appointed Lord Lieutenant of Ireland under Pitt, but his second tenure of this office was hardly as successful as the first. He was denounced by Grattan for extravagance was censured by the Irish Houses of Parliament for refusing to transmit to England an address calling upon the Prince of Wales to assume the regency, and he could only maintain his position by resorting to bribery on a large scale. Having become very unpopular he resigned his office in September 1789, and subsequently took very little part in politics. Although he spoke in favor of the union with Ireland, he died at his residence, Stowe House, V.04P.0667 Buckingham on the 11th of February 1813, and was buried at Wan. In 1775 he had married Mary Elizabeth D. 1812, daughter of Robert, Earl Nugent, his elder son, Richard Giarian Violelli, 1st Duke of Buckingham and Chandos 1776-1839, was one of the members of Parliament for Buckinghamshire from 1797 to 1813, and, as Earl Temple, took an active part in politics. In February 1813 he succeeded his father as Marquess of Buckingham, and having married the only child of the third Duke of Chandos, he was created Duke of Buckingham and Chandos in 1822. He died in 1839, owing to financial embarrassments. The Duke lived out of England for some time, and in 1862 an account of his travels was published, as the private diary of Richard, Duke of Buckingham and Chandos. He was succeeded by his only child. Richard Giarian Violelli, 2nd Duke of Buckingham and Chandos 1797-1861, educated at Eton and Oriel College, Oxford. He was known as Earl Temple and subsequently as Marquess of Chandos. He was Member of Parliament for Buckinghamshire from 1818 to 1839, and was responsible for the Chandos Clause in the Reform Bill of 1832. He was Lord Privy Seal from September 1841 to January 1842 and partly owing to his opposition to the repeal of the Corn Laws was known as the Farmer's Friend. He found the estates heavily encumbered when he succeeded to the dukedom in 1839, and his own generous and luxurious tastes brought matters to a climax. In 1847 his residences were seized by his creditors, and the duke left England. His personal property and many of his landed estates were sold, and returning to England he devoted himself to a literature. He died in London. On the 29th of July 1861, 
His wife, whom he married in 1819, was married in 1862, daughter of John, first Marquess of Bread Albane, and she obtained a divorce from him in 1850. Buckingham's chief publications are Memoirs of the Court and Cabinets of George I.I.I., London, 1853-1855, Memoirs of the Court of England, 1811-1820 London, 1856, Memoirs of the Court of George I.D., London, 1859, and Memoirs of the Court and Cabinets of William I.D., and Victoria, London, 1861, Richard G.R.E. and V.I.L.E., Third Duke of Buckingham and Chandos 1823-1889, the only son of the second duke, was educated at Eton and Christ Church, Oxford, and, as Marquess of Chandos, represented the borough of Buckingham in Parliament from 1846 to 1857. He was chairman of the London and North Western Railway from 1853 to 1861. After succeeding to the dukedom he became Lord President of the Council and subsequently secretary for the colonies in the conservative government of 1866-1868, from 1875 to 1880 he was governor of Madras, and in 1886 was chosen chairman of committees in the House of Lords, he was twice married and left three daughters, as he left no son the dukedom became extinct on his death, but the Scottish barony of Kinloss to which he established his title in 1868 passed to his eldest daughter, Mary the wife of Captain L.F.H.C. Morgan, the Earldom of Temple to his nephew, William Stephen Gorlington, and the Viscounty of Cobham to his kinsman, Charles George, 5th Baron Lytton. His widow married the first Earl Egerton of Tatton in 1894. Buckingham, George B. Ilyers, 1st Duke of 1592-1628, English statesman, born in August 1592, was a younger son of Sir George Villiers of Brooksby. His mother, Mary, daughter of Anthony Beaumont of Glenfield, Leicestershire, who was left a widow early, educated him for a courtier's life, sending him to France with Sir John Elliot, and the lad, being by nature contemplative, took kindly to the training, he could dance well, fence well, and talk a little French, when in August 1614 he was brought before the king's notice, in the hope that he would take a fancy to him, the moment was favorable. Since Salisbury's death James had taken the business of government upon himself, but he wanted someone who would chat with him, and amuse him, and would also fill the office of private secretary, and save him from the trouble of saying no to importunate sweeters. It would be an additional satisfaction if he could train the youth who he might select in those arts of statesmanship of which he believed himself to be a perfect master. His first choice had not proved a happy one. Robert Carr, who had lately become Earl of Somerset, had had his head turned by his elevation, he had grown peevish toward his master, and had placed himself at the head of the party which was working for a close alliance with Spain. The appearance of Villiers, beaming with animal spirits and good humor, was therefore welcomed by all who had an interest in opposing the designs of Spain, and he was appointed cupbearer the same year. For some little time still Somerset's preeminence was maintained, but on the 23rd of April 1615, Villiers, in spite of Somerset, was promoted to be gentleman of the bedchamber, and was knighted on the 24th, the charge of murdering Overbury, brought against Somerset in September, completed his downfall, and Villiers at once stepped into the place which he had vacated, on the 3rd of January 1616 he became master of the horse, on the 24th of April he received the order of the garter, and on the 27th of August 1616 was created Viscount Villiers and Baron Wadden. 
receiving a grant of land valued at L80.000, while on the 5th of January 1617 he was made Earl, and on the 1st of January 1618 Marquess of Buckingham, with the exception of the Earl of Pembroke he was the richest nobleman in England. Those who expected him to give his support to the anti-Spanish party were at first doomed to disappointment, as yet he was no politician, and he contented himself with carrying out his master's orders, whatever they were. In his personal relations he was kindly and jovial towards all who did not thwart his wishes, but James had taught him to consider that the patronage of England was in his hands, and he took good care that no man should receive promotion of any kind who did not in one way or another pay court to him. As far as can be ascertained, he cared less for money than for the gratification of his vanity, but he had not merely himself to consider, his numerous kinsfolk were to be enriched by marriage, if in no other way, and Bacon, the great philosopher and statesman, was all but thrust from office because he had opposed a marriage suggested for one of Buckingham's brothers, while Cronfield, the first financier of the day, was kept from the treasury till he would forsake the woman whom he loved to marry a penniless cousin of the favorite. On the 19th of January 1619 James made him Lord High Admiral of England, hoping that the ardent, energetic youth would impart something of his own fire to those who were entrusted with the oversight of that fleet which had been almost ruined by the peculation and carelessness of the officials. Something of this, no doubt, was realized under Buckingham's eye, but he himself never pretended to the virtues of an administrator and he was too ready to fill up appointments with men who flattered him, and too reluctant to dismiss them, if they served their country ill, to effect any permanent change for the better. It was about this time that he first took an independent part in politics. All England was talking of the revolution in Bohemia in the year before, and men's sympathy with the continental Protestants was increased when it was known that James's son-in-law had accepted the crown of Bohemia and that in the summer of 1620 a Spanish force was preparing to invade the Palatinate. Buckingham at first had thrown himself into the popular movement, before the summer of 1620 was at end, incensed by injuries inflicted on English sailors by the Dutch in the East Indies. He had swung round, and was in close agreement with Gondomer, the Spanish ambassador. He had now married Lady Catherine Manners, the daughter of the Earl of Rutland, who was at heart a Roman Catholic though she outwardly conformed to the English church, and this alliance may have had something to do with the change. Buckingham's mistakes were owing mainly to his levity. If he passed briskly from one camp to the other, an impartial V.04P.0668 observer might usually detect some personal motive at the bottom, but it is hardly probable that he was himself conscious of anything of the sort. When he was in reality acting under the influence of vanity or passion it was easy for him to persuade himself that he was doing his duty to his country. The parliament which met in 1621, angry at discovering that no help was to be sent to the Palatinate, broke out into a loud outcry against the system of monopolies, from which Buckingham's brothers and dependents had drawn a profit, which was believed to be greater than it really was. At first he pleaded for a dissolution but he was persuaded by Bishop Williams that it would be a wiser course to put himself at the head of the movement, and at a conference of the commons with the lords acknowledged that his two brothers had been implicated, but declared that his father had begotten a third who would aid in punishing them. In the impeachment of Bacon which soon followed, Buckingham, who owed much to his wise counsels, gave him that assistance which was possible without imperiling his own position and influence. He at first demanded the immediate dissolution of Parliament, but afterwards, when the cry rose louder against the Chancellor, 
joined in the attack, making however some attempt to mitigate the severity of the charges against him during the hearing of his case before the House of Lords, notwithstanding, he took advantage of Bacon's need of assistance to wring from him the possession of York House, in the winter of 1621, and the succeeding year. Buckingham was entirely in Gondomer's hands, and it was only with some difficulty that in May 1622 Laud argued him out of a resolution to declare himself a Roman Catholic. In December 1621 he actively supported the dissolution of Parliament, and there can be little doubt that when the Spanish ambassador left England the following May, he had come to an understanding with Buckingham that the Prince of Wales should visit Madrid the next year on which occasion the Spanish court hoped to effect his conversion to the Roman Catholic Church before giving him the hand of the Infanta Maria. They set out on their adventurous expedition on the 17th of February 1623, arriving at Madrid, after passing through Paris on the 7th of March. Each party had been the dupe of the other. Charles and Buckingham were sanguine in hoping for the restitution of the Palatinate to James's son-in-law, as a marriage gift to Charles while the Spaniards counted on the conversion of Charles to Roman Catholicism and other extreme concessions see Charles I. The political differences were soon accentuated by personal disputes between Buckingham and Olivares and the Grandees, and when the two young men sailed together from Santander in September, it was with the final resolution to break entirely with Spain. James had gratified his favorite in his absence by raising him to a dukedom but the splendor which now gathered round Buckingham was owing to another source than James's favor. He had put himself at the head of the popular movement against Spain, and when James, acknowledging sorely against his will that the Palatinate could only be recovered by force, summoned the Parliament which met in February 1624, Buckingham, with the help of the heir apparent, took up an independent political position. James was half-driven, half-persuaded to declare all negotiations with Spain at an end. For the moment Buckingham was the most popular man in England. It was easier to overthrow one policy than to construct another. The Commons would have been content with sending some assistance to the Dutch, and with entering upon a private ring war with Spain. James, whose object was to regain the Palatinate, believed this could only be accomplished by a continental alliance, in which France took part. As soon as Parliament was prorogued, negotiations were opened for a marriage between Charles and the sister of Louis XII. Henrietta Maria, but a difficulty arose. James and Charles had engaged to the Commons that there should be no concessions to the English Roman Catholics, and Lewis would not hear of the marriage unless very large concessions were made. Buckingham, impatient to begin the war as soon as possible, persuaded Charles, and the two together persuaded James to throw over the promises to the Commons, and to accept the French terms. It was no longer possible to summon Parliament to vote supplies for the war till the marriage had been completed, when remonstrances to its conditions would be useless. Buckingham, for Buckingham was now virtually the ruler of England, had thus to commence war without money. He prepared to throw 12.000 Englishmen, under a German adventurer, Count Mansfeld, through France into the Palatinate. The French insisted that he should marrow through Holland. It mattered little which way he took without provisions, and without money to buy them. The wretched troops sickened and died in the winter frosts. Buckingham's first military enterprise ended in disastrous failure. Buckingham had many other schemes in his teeming brain. He had offered to send aid to Christian Ivy, King of Denmark, who was proposing to make war in Germany, and had also a plan for sending an English fleet to attack Genoa, the Alliance Spain, and a plan for sending an English fleet to attack Spain itself. 
Before these schemes could be carried into operation James died on the 27th of March 1625. The Nukin and Buckingham were at one in their aims and objects. Both were anxious to distinguish themselves by the chastisement of Spain, and the recovery of the Palatinate. Both were young and inexperienced, but Charles, obstinate when his mind was made up, was sluggish in action and without fertility in ideas, and he had long submitted his mind to the versatile and brilliant favorite, who was never at a loss what to do next, and who unrolled before his eyes visions of endless possibilities in the future. Buckingham was sent over to Paris to urge upon the French court the importance of converting its alliance into active company operation. There was a difficulty in the way. The Huguenots of La Rochelle were in rebellion, and James had promised the aid of English ships to suppress that rebellion. Buckingham, who seems at first to have consented to the scheme, was anxious to mediate peace between the King of France and his subjects, and to save Charles from compromising himself with his Parliament by the appearance of English ships in an attack upon Protestants. When he returned his main demands were refused, but hopes were given him that peace would be made with the Huguenots. On his way through France he had the insolence to make love to the Queen of France. Soon after his return Parliament was opened, it would have been hard for Charles to pass through the session with credit. Under Buckingham's guidance he had entered into engagements involving an enormous expenditure, and these engagements involved a war on the continent, which had never been popular in the House of Commons. The Commons, too, suspected the marriage treaty contained engagements of which they disapproved. They asked for the full execution of the laws against the Roman Catholics, and voted but little money in return. Before they reassembled at Oxford on the 1st of August, the English ships had found their way into the hands of the French, to be used against La Rochelle. The commons met in an ill humor, they had no confidence in Buckingham, and they asked that persons whom they could trust should be admitted to the King's Council before they would vote a penny. Charles stood by his minister, and on the 12th of August he dissolved his first parliament. Buckingham and his master set themselves to a work to conquer public opinion. On the one hand, they threw over their engagements to France on behalf of the English Roman Catholics. On the other hand they sent out a large fleet to attack Cadiz, and to seize the Spanish treasure ships. Buckingham went to the Hague to raise an immediate supply by pawning the crown jewels, to place England at the head of a great Protestant alliance, and to enter into fresh obligations to furnish money to the King of Denmark. It all ended in failure. The fleet returned from Cadiz, having effected nothing. The crown jewels produced but a small sum, and the money for the King of Denmark could only be raised by an appeal to Parliament. In the meanwhile the King of France was deeply offended by the treatment of V.04P.0669 the Roman Catholics, and by the seizure of French vessels on the ground that they were engaged in carrying goods for Spain. When Charles's second Parliament met on 6 February 1626, it was not long before, under Elliot's guidance, it asked for Buckingham's punishment. He was impeached before the House of Lords on a long string of charges. Many of these charges were exaggerated, and some weren't true. His real crime was his complete failure as the leader of the administration. But as long as Charles refused to listen to the complaints of his minister's incompetency, the only way in which the Commons could reach him was by bringing criminal charges against him. Charles dissolved his second parliament as he had dissolved his first. Subsequently the Star Chamber declared the Duke innocent of the charges, and on the 1st of June Buckingham was elected Chancellor of Cambridge University. To find money was the great difficulty. Recourse was had to a forced loan, and men were thrown into prison for refusing to pay it. Disasters had occurred to Charles's allies in Germany, 
the fleet sent out under Lord Willoughby the Earl of Lindsay against the Spaniards returned home shattered by a storm, and a French war was impending in addition to the Spanish one. The French were roused to a reprisals by Charles's persistence in seizing French vessels, and willing to leave La Rochelle open to the entrance of an English fleet. Richelieu laid siege to that stronghold of the French Huguenots. On the 27th of June 1627 Buckingham sailed from Portsmouth at the head of a numerous fleet, and a considerable land force, to relieve the besieged city. His first enterprise was the siege of the fort of Street Martins, on the Isle of Ray. The ground was hard, and the siege operations were converted into a blockade. On the 27th of September the defenders of the fort announced their readiness to surrender the next morning. In the night a fresh gale brought over a flotilla of French provision boats, which dashed through the English blockading squadron. The fort was provisioned for two months more. Buckingham resolved to struggle on, and sent for reinforcements from England. Charles would gladly have answered to his call, but England had long since ceased to care for the war. There was no money in the exchequer, no enthusiasm in the nation to supply the want. Before the reinforcements could arrive the French had thrown a superior force upon the island, and Buckingham was driven to a retreat on the 29th of October with heavy loss. Only 2989 troops out of nearly 7,000 returning to England. His spirits were as buoyant as ever. Ill luck, or the misconduct of others, was the cause of his failure. He had new plans for carrying on the war. But the Parliament which met on the 17th of March 1628 was resolved to exact from the King an obligation to refrain from encroaching for the future on the liberties of his subjects. In the parliamentary battle, which ended in the concession of the Petition of Right, Buckingham took an active share as a member of the House of Lords. He resisted as long as it was possible to resist the demand of the Commons, that the King should abandon his claim to imprison without showing cause. When the first unsatisfactory answer to the petition was made by the king on the 2nd of June, the commons suspected, probably with truth, that it had been dictated by Buckingham. They prepared a remonstrance on the state of the nation, and Coke at last named the duke as the cause of all the misfortunes that had occurred. The duke of Bucks is the cause of all our miseries. That man is the grievance of grievances. Though on the 7th of June the king granted a satisfactory answer to the petition, the commons proceeded with their remonstrance and on the 11th demanded that he might no longer continue in office. Once more Charles refused to surrender Buckingham, and a few days later he prorogued Parliament in anger. The popular feeling was greatly excited. Lampoons circulated freely from hand to hand, and Dr. Lambie, a quack doctor, who dabbled in astrology, and was believed to exercise influence over Buckingham, was murdered in the streets of London. Rude doggerel lines announced that the Duke should share the doctor's fate. With the clouds gathering round him, Buckingham went down to Portsmouth to take the command of one final expedition for the relief of La Rochelle. For the first time even he was beginning to acknowledge that he had undertaken a task beyond his powers. There was a force of inertia in the officials which resisted his efforts to spur them on to an enterprise which they believed to be doomed to failure. He entered gladly into a scheme of pacification proposed by the Venetian ambassador, but before he could know whether there was to be peace or war. The knife of an assassin put an end to his career. John Felton, who had served at Ray, had been disappointed of promotion, and had not been paid that which was due to him for his services. Read the declaration of the Commons that Buckingham was a public enemy, and eagerly caught at the excuse for revenging his private wrongs under cover of those of his country. Waiting, on the morning of the 23rd of August, beside the door of the room in which Buckingham was breakfasting, he stabbed him to the heart as he came out. 
Buckingham married Lady Katharina Manners, daughter of Francis, sixth Earl of Rutland, by whom he left three sons and one daughter, of whom George, the second son 1628-1687, succeeded to the dukedom. Bibliography, article in the dict, of Matt. Biography, by S. R. Gardiner, Life of Buckingham, by Sir Henry Watt.